Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? Hello there, you're very welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Football Podcast, Owen, Ken and Murph in studio. Hi Ken, hi Murph. Hello hi, there, Owen. How are you? I'm How's a little, it going? Good, yeah, thanks. I'm a little wary of starting the show with this particular segment because I first heard of what had happened at about five past seven this morning. Yeah. And by about quarter past seven, <laughs> I was getting irritated by the jokes, <laughs> which had started becoming... Cliched, but I mean, no, no, go just just go with it. Come on, if it felt right at five past seven this morning, it's still right right there. This is just too good to pass up. (laughs) I'm sorry, no, there's a mistake. mistake. Moonlight, you guys won best picture. Moonlight won. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won best picture. Moonlight, best picture. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. By now, you know that that voice and those words belong to Jordan Horowitz, producer of La La Land. <laughs> Poor old Jordan had just been handed the greatest moment of his life moments before, only to have it taken away a minute or so later. Mm. Handled it pretty well, I thought. Yeah, well... He was white with fury. Mm. He, he, I, I, I think that his anger was... It, it was in the right direction. Which is what direction? Warren Beatty. <laughs> because the way he whipped the character of Warren Beatty right yeah. absolutely Give hilarious. me that thing. It says bloody moonlight. Yeah. But then, you know, I think yeah, I think a little later on, if uh, if you'd continued to roll the tape there, you would you would have heard him say, it would be an honour to present it to my friends who uh, present, uh, who uh, produce moonlight. I hear, yeah. So I'm I think wh- he did okay. I, I mean, think he did okay. I'm whipping that right off Warren Beatty as well, Yeah, if I'm honest. Yeah. If I'm in that situation. I mean, if Warren Beatty's... Beatty's he reminded me a little bit of you, actually. The guy. Warren Beatty. Uh, no, the La La Land producer In your dreams, on um, What, steadfast under pressure? Um, the, mag- no, mag- magnanimous towards the, his opponents? Well, he, he had a similar uh, hair and beard arrangement And <laughs> he and the way he whipped the uh, card from the hand of Warren Beatty Was distinctively McDevitt mm. in a, in a <laughs> I actually am completely both prof- confused Both here. professional, but also irritable you know, McDevitt in, <laughs> in five aside. Uh, <laughs> But there's, there's just that's not couple, real. That's a different McDevitt. A couple of decisions have been, have been going against the team. <laughs> Unexpected decisions have been going against the team. And Someone calls a penalty in five aside that McDevitt knows to be wrong, but he's already given out two no, offers. No. Like, no, 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 please. I'd, I'd be honoured to place the ball on the spot for my, for <laughs> my friends from the other team. No, no, please. Oh, man, if please. you want to play, I mean, go for it, you know. <laughs> All right, now I see where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah. But no, I felt, um, I felt very sorry for them. What can you do? But you know, Moonlight was the best... Uh, was the best out of those movies, so so I think uh, fair enough. I think we've if we learned one thing, it's that when you see a kerfuffle at the Oscars, when you see a lot of people working 
behind the scenes looking extremely flustered. Mm. Some, something is up. Something bad has happened. Because it was hilarious how you could see the message getting through to everybody else on the team. Uh, and even one of the other producer, producers who had spoken before our friend there. Uh, I think three, pe- Jordan. three people got to give speeches. Yeah, and the the, the preced- preceding one, I think he realised before he got on that this is not going mm. anywhere, but I might as well go through the ring roll and then it's like, no, we actually, yeah, we, we, yeah. we lost as it turns uh, out. It's just, it's just the wife of the first speaker that I feel sorry for, you know. Well, at the same time, she did get her moment in the sun. She was thanked from the Oscar stage. I mean, it would got taken, the moment got taken back off her pretty quickly, but... So you heard Warren Beatty's excuse here, right? That the card that he... W- he opened the envelope, he read the card, and he said that... He made this excuse on the before he even got off stage. He was trying to wash his hands of this. This has nothing to do with Warren Beatty, uh, says Warren Beatty. So it said that he said he opens a card and he sees best actress Emma Stone, La La, La, La Land. Land. So all he sees is La La Land and he's confused. And then Faye Dunaway is kind of looking at him going, come here, you old fool. Yeah, give us that. It's, it says La La Land. Just bloody well read it out. Mm. So Faye Dunaway takes control of the situation and messes it up even more, <laughs> as it turns out. So uh, Emma Stone has thrown something in here. That she said afterwards, I was actually holding my best actress in a leading role card the entire time. So whatever story, I don't mean to start stuff, but whatever story that was, I had the card. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> God forbid they could have printed two yeah, of those I cards. I think what happened is that they printed two of those cards and poor Warren got handed one of them in that envelope accident yeah. and didn't quite know how to... Well, how could he know how to write? He didn't realise that... Well, I mean, it is written there, best motion picture moonlight. So, I mean... You know, you check the two cards that are in. Mm. Listen, it happened. You know, it happened. Even even Homer nods. I have a feeling we're going to be talking a lot of Zlatan today. But before we do, I want to try out a massive thank you to the 6,000 members. 6,000 members who've now signed up to the Second Captain's World Service in the first two weeks. We only launched this day, Monday, a couple of weeks back. You've responded big time. And uh, we love you for it. Massive Second Captain's hugs all around. For those of you who have yet to sign up, I don't want to say we love you any less than the World Service members, but it's just a different kind of love. Every parent has a favorite kid, right? <laughs> no, well, that, damn it! Don't never no, insult. Never admit that. Never insult your kids <laughs> or your listeners. It's lesson one hundred and one <laughs> of life and uh, journalism skill. So, if you're interested in getting involved, you know the drill. Get on secondcaptains.com for details on how to get your ears around a minimum of six podcasts a week and lots of other awesome stuff. Membership costs €5 Euro a month plus VAT, depending on where you're living. We put out, I mentioned the minimum of six podcasts a week because we put out seven shows last week, including Yes We Can, the debut of Kennedy's new Politics. We're not calling it that, own, but Poli- like, Politics an and ongoing stuff situation. Uh, lots of lovely messages about that, so thanks on behalf of Ken here. He'll be too modest to No, thank very, thanks very much. <laughs> not too modest at all. Thanks for that. What else do we have? Uh, the Bonus Ranieri sacking show, which is what took it up to seven shows. And of course, it was Ken's Ghouls, which was so good, we believe the 50% of people who absolutely detest this slot has slumped to about 48.7% somewhere in that mark. It was so good, in fact, that we're playing two excerpts here. This was our favourite bit. I'll see Grey Rose, like Lazarus, only to strike the penalty like a former professional on disability benefits who has to take a penalty in a halftime competition and doesn't want anyone grassing on him to the social. <laughs> that was the cue for... And this was undoubtedly the most popular clip among World Service members. Then Joy, as John Stones, arrived at the back post to bottle Hover to Brody's TZ Cross, and finally, abandon as Sane tapped in to make it five and sent Eastlands in Sane in the membrane. <laughs> in Sane in the brain. Ah. Oh. Oh. That wasn't bad, was it? Got us laughing like idiots anyway, Murph. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we heard he covered it. it. <laughs> that wasn't very reserved of us, was it? <laughs> I'm also pleased to announce there's a new option added to the induction pack. That's Ken's latest sketch. It's a shall we say, revealing portrait of David Luiz. <laughs> if you want to see a naked, statuesque David Luiz, get on secondcaptains.com for details on how to join up to the World Service. Mm-hmm. Report on Sport Kent. Racy stuff. Well, the League Cup final. Ooh, that was close. Uh, but a very good game. Um, did you watch the game yourself, Anne? Did yeah, you well... Mm-hmm. Big I had to, sporting weekend? Yeah, I had to catch up. This, so I was doing a lot of catching up, Ken, because I was at a wedding on Saturday. Oh, yeah. So I was catching up with the rugby to, on Sunday. Did you get to watch that game? Or? Oh, the rugby? Oh, well, I've got some, I've got some talking to do on that particular okay. subject, Ken. The, the, <laughs> the dilemmas faced by people attending a wedding and wanting to watch a big sporting uh, event at the same time. That will be covered in depth. We've all been that soldier. our second podcast today. Save those stories, Murph. No, yeah. I mean, I, I think we'll just get a really good read on whether Owen liked the people who were getting married or not. That's all I'm saying. That's okay. You can leave that here and nobody will put yeah. that together with the audio from the yeah, other podcast exactly, and we'll yeah. be okay. Should yeah, be yeah. Fine. No, um, we will get to that. But I, I was catching up on a lot of sport this morning, Ken. Hence, I was up at seven o'clock 
watching La La Land stuff because oh, yeah. I also uh, was trying to catch up on the League Cup. Watch the highlight show, one hour highlights. I feel that's not a bad way to watch football. Yeah, absolutely. Such a long, such a long the, sport. <laughs> cut out the uh, half an hour, which is the most boring, which is when the ball's out of play usually anyway. Yeah. About half an hour. All killer, no filler. So certainly in an hour, it looked like an absolutely amazing game. <laughs> it was. It was a very good game. Um, so, uh, and really, uh, I mean, Jose Mourinho's quotes afterwards are, I think for him, quite accurate. He, he does sometimes like to put a spin on things, but on this occasion, he was uh, was pretty much on the money. Uh, we should still we should be playing extra time right now, but we're not, thanks to Zlatan Ibrahimovic, was essentially his, um, his what he said. He, he did seem to be in quite a bad mood throughout the whole day, and this went from before the game to during the game to even the moments when they were scoring goals. He, he had this scowling expression on, and then after the game, when he was being interviewed, he continued to be in a bad mood. I guess it might have had something to do with the... He had uh, had some press intrusion into his private life on the um, morning of the game with one of the uh, tabloids printing a, uh, printing a story about his personal life. Uh, he has obviously spoken a little bit about his personal arrangements already this season, but that was very much on his terms when he spoke to... Sky Sports and uh, Andy Andy Burton wasn't it when he was uh, talking about living in the Larry Hotel and so on and so forth. But this was a little bit more, uh, I would guess, irritating from Jose Mourinho's point well, of view. Well, people might be aware what it is. Do, do you want to? Are you trying to avoid the tabloid tittle tattle? Is that the idea? People can find the tabloid tittle tattle if they want. I mean, it was plastered on the front page of one of the biggest uh, tabloid newspapers in the world. Uh, so it's hardly a big secret. Uh, I just tend to believe as far as we're discussing it in this program, that his private life is his own business. Well played, Ken. Um, well, well played. But I did think he, uh, yeah, he did seem a little bit... Mm, for, for a guy who was setting records, or equaling records held by Clough and Ferguson for League Cups, uh, he didn't seem that pleased. The only uh, part of those post-match comments that I would could have any quarrel with w- uh, is the suggestion that they would have gotten to extra time without Slatan. That's the only... That would be the only uh, uh, slight fly in the ointment, I would say. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, he did. I have to say, I don't think Fraser Forster had the best game I've ever seen from I a goalkeeper. I thought so, too. I mm. thought there were a couple of goals. Even the header. I know it was point blank, but it was point blank. It was one of those It ones. went straight between his, his hand yeah. and his head. It went straight there. I mean, there's a, there's a good photograph of it, actually. A good series of photographs. So you see, Zlatan, and it is like a bull flying through the air. You know, he does, he, there's a lot of force. The, the, ball was, the ball was there very nicely. And he did manage to put a lot of force behind that header. And it was a close-range header. And usually that's going to be a goal. Uh, at the same time, Fraser Forster just, just closed his eyes. He screws his eyes shut uh, reflexively to, um, you know, it's not one of those. Brian Clough, a man we've, we've already mentioned in connection with Mourinho's record, uh, used to be very proud of a photograph of his son Nigel dispatching a sort of diving header into the roof of the net. And the thing that he used to like about it and show it and would show it to people and say, look at that, eyes open all the way, you know, eyes on the ball. Basically, Nigel Clough bravely, uh, both his eyes were wide, taking in everything as this ball, you know, a big, wet, muddy, concussion-causing football <laughs> was, this, was smashed into the area of his head just above his eyes. But so brave was he and so sure in his technique that he didn't uh, do a Fraser Forster on it and screw his eyes shut to protect them from uh, from whatever might happen with this ball. So, I mean, the, the free kick was from 30 yards, and it went kind of well inside the post. The uh, shot by Lingard was well-placed, but it, it did roll into the net quite slowly, and then the header went between his arm and his head. So no, zero clangers, but three savable shots, you would say. Yeah, I mean, we, we were talking about Forrest, I remember, a couple of weeks ago when... Um, he was the only goalkeeper competing with Claudio Bravo for awful uh, shot uh, saves to shots percentage. And I suppose you could maybe see that. But, it, but of course, Forster just looks more like the type of man you want in goal. You know, mm-hmm. a man who looks, who could easily be mistaken for a tree in certain, <laughs> in certain sort of lights, you know. And, and he is a guy with, uh, with immense physical presence, even if sometimes the physical presence isn't, or precisely where it needs to be in order to prevent the ball from going into the goal. His first touch is reassuringly awful as well. Uh, like to see that. 
Well, as a, as a, he's not one of these uh, kind of uh, passing it around the back merchants. No, Definitely not. hell no. No. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was, I thought, a great uh, a great performance by... I mean, I say great performance. I, th- I, th- I think it was for, from Zlatan. You know, to this team were under a lot of pressure. They really were. Like, they, they were... Southampton were the better team for most of the game. And Manchester United have the cup because, you know... Ultimately, they had a player. When the ball came into the box, Southampton was there. When the ball, Southampton put so many balls in. They they really created a lot of chances. I mean, Ward Prowse set up the first goal. Probably he took the corner for the for the second goal as well. I think I mean, that was a corner, wasn't it? Which kind of ended up at the feet of Gabbiadini. Um But you know, great uh, driven sort of the, you know really pacey deliveries, really accurate, whipped in. Um, Causing all kinds of, uh, it was Ward Prowse, wasn't it? He set up that that second goal. You're, you're looking at, yeah, I think it was. But look, they had, a, they obviously had a game plan. Uh, they stopped Manchester United from playing in midfield. Uh, Manchester United's efforts to put some manners on the game. Um, Jose Mourinho at halftime took off Mata and put on Michael Carrick. They just conceded a goal. Um, Mourinho said, okay. Want to try and control this one a bit better in the second half? We haven't done that in the first half. Carrick is on, Matt is off. Immediately conceded a second goal. That was a disaster. That really, that was a bad situation. Because number one, Mourinho's get going to get really angry when they go two 0 down. When they they lose a two goal lead, that's like a non negotiable lead. That's right. You know, one of you know, we scored the first goal, we scored the second goal. Goodbye, game. You know, game over, game dead. So he's thinking the game's over, and then suddenly it's 2-2. And not only is it 2-2, he's made a substitution that now he wishes he could unmake <laughs> because it's a, it's a different game. And United were really hanging on for, you know, 20, 25 minutes. Um, and eventually, because, you know, Mourinho, Mourinho actually referred to it afterwards. Look, I thought, you know, they, they were the ones with the fuel in their legs. We were getting tired. We were really struggling. Uh, in extra time, it would have been difficult for us. Luckily, we didn't have to play extra time. Zlatan said the same thing as well, that he felt the team was getting tired also. So I suppose that's when a player like him decides he'll ghost into the box and not one into the back net. His 32nd trophy, that's mm. certainly the stat that he produced himself unprompted after the game. Oh, and he, he knows that because he, he puts it up every time he wins a trophy on his various social media feeds with, a, with the number. So the last one was 31, so this one must be 32. It must be nice for a manager to know, though, that this guy's guaranteed to not be phased, and you would assume oh, any professional footballer, you get to that, you get, if you're at that level, you get to a final, it won't be a problem. It's only a League Cup final, so, but with certain guys like Zlatan, you just know that they're not going. They might miss a chance, they might, they might score, but it's not going to be down to nerves. You know, they're going to give you their eight or nine out of ten. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's got a lot of. He's uh, the, he's won his last fifteen finals in a row. Um, which is quite good. <laughs> that is a nice sort of habit Eight, to be involved in. 18 out of 21 finals uh, that he's been in, he's, he's won in his career, which is one of the reasons why he's got so many trophies. I mean, 32 is a lot of trophies. 32 is a lot of trophies for a club. Yeah, I mean, Manchester United have 42 now, although they don't count charity shields in that. There was a, there was a sort of uh, thing there on Twitter where they mentioned United fans saying, oh, Liverpool have had to change their Twitter from Liverpool, from England's most successful club with 41 trophies to... Liverpool Football Club. <laughs> Check us out on liverpoolfc.com. <laughs> yes. Um, so that was that. Uh, you know, we, they still don't know whether Zlatan is definitely going to stay the next season. Mourinho saying, I never beg a player to play for me. Um, well, it's kind of, I mean, sure. Uh, <laughs> but there is Zlatan, an exception to every rule. Zlatan did say, you know, the reason I'm here is Jose Mourinho called me up in the summer. I'm sure he didn't beg. He just laid on some of his... Uh, you know, uh, seduction techniques, <laughs> and, uh, and and Zlatan agreed. Uh, okay, yeah, this sounds like an interesting challenge. Um, of course, now that he's kind of, I mean, twenty six goals in thirty eight games, I think it is. That's very good. <laughs> that's really, that's exceptional. Um, has has won two trophies by his count. Uh, could maybe win another two more because the Europa League. I don't know if you've been looking at the at the field in your Europa League, but it's you know thin enough. All I'm saying is Stockholm in May. I mean Stockholm of all the places for Zlatan to go. 
uh, I think there's a big trophy, uh, a statue of him rather, a big trophy of him, a big statue of Zlatan outside the ground. He just, counts that as well. That's he, number thirty-three. He's just he's just wearing. It's a statue of Zlatan just wearing shorts. Uh, he's just he he's like, well, why not? He's you know, <laughs> I don't know if they've done all the individual tattoos and whatnot, but you know, it's obviously his stadium, uh, his city, even though he's from a different city, and it would be a pretty the worst city in the world. Well, he's from the worst city in the world, Malmo, yep. the most terrifying uh, city uh, in Europe. But Stockholm is where the game's going to be, and I think there's every chance they're going to be there. And obviously, if the you know the Premier League is competitive, there's still a good chance of finishing the top four the way things are going there. But you know, the Europa League definitely looks like a trophy they could win. We're going to be talking to Jonathan Wilson about Zlatan mostly, I think, in a little while. So the other thing going on, uh, I mean, this has obviously happened last week, and Mourinho was kind of in to put himself at the centre of this story too is the Leicester thing. Mourinho, I mean, he's shameless. So he comes out, and this, and, and the best thing about this was Mourinho com, com, comes out to his press conference and he's wearing a, a top with C.O.R. on it, right? The Claudio Ranieri's initials. I am Claudio, I am Spartacus, says Jose Mourinho. Uh, there, but for the grace of God. Well, we have all, you know, that's the modern football, as he wrote on Instagram. So this was like, he, he went full on on this, okay? This is, this is total onslaught from Reno. Uh, this means that my sacking last season didn't, you know, didn't matter. My sacking showed how crazy football has got, and it wasn't anything to do with how crazy things had got at Chelsea under my management. <laughs> this is just football now. No one shouted stop. No one shouted stop. This is the guy who last last season he was repeating his Ranieri is nearly seventy years old. <laughs> you know, Ranieri has 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 managed in England for years and still struggles to say good morning and good afternoon. This is Jose Mourinho in, in October twenty fifteen. You know what I mean? <laughs> like now here he is, Claudio Amico. Uh, my buddy. Anyway, so so he was obviously using it a bit for his agenda, but a lot of people thought he was showing a lot of class and dignity as well, which is another way to look at that. Um, and and clearly, the sacking of Ranieri has caused much an eruption of sympathy, which in its uniformity almost reminds me of the eruption of derision that occurred when Claudio Ranieri originally got the job, <laughs> uh, when everyone was convinced that this was a ridiculous appointment and what is this has been being given this job for. Um, Martin O'Neill, I don't remember him expressing that opinion, certainly when Ranieri got the job, but speaking to the BBC, uh, first of all, uh, the important thing from our point of view is I'm really enjoying being an international manager and we have a job to do. I wouldn't be going. I'm enjoying this at the moment. I wouldn't be going to Leicester. Leicester, the club where he obviously was an outstanding manager himself, uh, winning two trophies. Um... But Mark O'Neill said, even in this day and age, why should the players go to the owners of the football club? I played in the days when players had no power. And while it wasn't right we had no power at all, it has gone completely in the other direction. The players are really powerful, including a lot of ordinary players. Um, he had the right, in my opinion, to see it through this season. It's not as if there are three games left and they're adrift. A couple of win- wins will take them into trouble, so I think it was a really sad day. A phenomenal achievement that will not be done again in Premier League history. The players took an awful lot of credit for that. And in many aspects, Ranieri dropped into the background. Yeah. I don't know. Who really got the credit? I think Ranieri got a lot of credit. I think he got plenty. And I would imagine that could have annoyed some of the players. Because they seem to be trying to make clear over the weekend. It wasn't us. Yeah. Well, what seems to have happened... Is the, the players are, are, are irate at the suggestion that they formed together in a big plot and then went to the, to the owners and said, get rid of Claudio. We deserve all the credit. He didn't do anything. And so they're, they're kind of bridling the suggestion, but it seems as though that's not what happened, that the lesser owners were over at, at the Seville, uh, Sevilla game uh, last week and asked some players their opinion and based on what they heard, decided to go with their decided, yes, we will sack Ranieri. We've heard from enough players that this isn't really working. You know, you had people like Casper Schmeichel saying, um, you know, there's no truth in this. This is the, the rumour of the meeting between a player's delegation, you know, which which makes it sound like the players have got together. Mm. And, you know, there's absolutely no truth. We are players. We can only affect things on the pitch. What happens above our heads is completely out of our control. All these reports about meetings, I don't know where they've come from. What I can say is our owners are very hands-on. They're in and around the club all the time. They come to every game, they come to the training ground, they speak to all the players regularly. 
But Casper Schmeichel only a few weeks ago. Remember we were talking about this when, when we had Stuart James on. Casper Schmeichel had this, we're going to get relegated if we don't, you know, if something needs to change here, we're going to get relegated. And we were saying at the time, that's the kind of statement that will get a manager sacked. You know, if your owners are listening to that, here's one of your senior players. You know, Ranieri would not have been too happy with that. So, and that was public. There was nothing, you know, covert about what Schmeichel was doing there. But I, th- I thought that was undermining Ranieri in, in it was the most a bit, public way. It was a, it was a one-off, though, wasn't it? It wasn't as though there was a concerted campaign. If, if we had heard Jamie Vardy coming out with some, something similar, Wes Morgan, and if they had all been dropping these in, you would think, well, actually, what has happened is they've gone behind the scenes, had a conversation, and decided this is the way to do it. Maybe it was just Schmeichel genuinely being pissed off at how things were going. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's what Stuart James said to us, I think, at the time. He kind of rejected the notion that that was a bit of a knife in the back for Claudio. And sometimes you have to say these things. Um, you know, I, I was reading a bit of this because you know, obviously the Leicester thing pr- pr- uh, produced a number of books. Vardy did an autobiography, which Stuart had had, had um, ghostwritten, uh, co-wrote. Uh, I'm not sure how you say that these days. Uh, Jonathan Northcroft, the Sunday Times uh, journalist, had written one called Fearless, which was kind of a more general look at the season. Uh, Gabriel Marcotti, I think, has one coming out with with uh, Vardy. Ranieri. Oh, with Ranieri, of course. Sorry. Mm. Uh, but you know the thing about it is the thing that I feel about it actually the person I feel most sorry for in the whole Leicester story is not Claudio Ranieri who got to win the Premier League with Leicester but Nigel Pearson who did not win the Premier League with Leicester even though it was basically his team and I kind of get that when I read these books I really do get the feeling that if you were to ask a lot of the players, and it would have to be a secret ballot, and obviously I'm not talking about getting them all together in a group, they wouldn't, go, they wouldn't do that, they wouldn't agree to that. But if it was a secret ballot, and the players were giving their honest opinion, I would say a lot of them would say Pearson had more to do with this than Claudio. And Pearson survived in the form of his uh, assistants, Walshy and Shakey. Uh, Craig Shakespeare, Shakey, known to the players as... Shaky. And Steve Walsh, who has since joined Everton as their director of football. Walsh was the guy who was kind of their, uh, was, Leicester have a huge sort of analytics team. And, you know, they're, they're very, they made a big investment in that. Who was the manager who decided to do that? It was Pearson. Pearson said, I'd rather spend, you know, 500 grand on getting a really top, uh, kind of top tier analytics department rather than, spend it on a footballer who is not, is not going to be any good for 500 grand. It, the level of player I can get for that is, it's, you know, it's a negligible kind of amount of money if you're talking about the transfer fee for a player. But in terms of what you can do to sort of revolution, revolutionize the data side of your club, it's a huge amount of money. Yeah. But this is, sorry, yeah, do you want to finish that point? Well, well basically, when, when uh, Pearson was sacked, and that was the summer of, of 2016, from 2015, um, 2015, and Ranieri came in, Ranieri kind of retained the entire structure. He came in and it was very softly, softly approached. It was like, oh, you know, I like a lot of what you're doing here. And, you know, the one thing he did do was change it from, Pearson had been playing a bit of 3-5-2 when Leicester had got, had won seven games out of nine, which was, you saw then the Leicester team that went on to win the league. That team was more or less there. I mean, they, they added Kante. Kante was the big player who came in and, and really improved the team. Kante was Walsh's idea, not Ranieri's. You know, he was he was on a run. This guy is the best player I've seen since in, in of this type since McAlealy. We have to sign this guy. Ranieri eventually said, "If he's as good as McAlealy, let's get this guy." Um, but you know, Shakespeare, Walsh, uh, that whole data department, and coaches and so on were all there previously. They were Pearson's boys. You so know? would they have won the league with Nigel Pearson as manager? Because they weren't showing any signs of it. <laughs> Well, they well they they were showing signs of it though. In the last quarter of the season, they they had they they escaped relegation with a form with a burst of title winning form. You know what I mean? You are an ostrich. <laughs> your head must be in the sand. Okay. I mean, obviously, <laughs> when you look back at that, it is doesn't that sound the man right. to lead you to a Premier League title? What Ranieri what Ranieri did bring was a sort of a, a charm and a kind of. Uh, relaxed uh, vibe, which clearly Pearson wasn't really providing at that stage. Pearson, though, was the guy who had pretty much assembled this team on and off the field. I don't think you can actually go around rewriting history like that. No, you can't. I mean, if Pearson had been the manager, I'm sure they wouldn't have won the league. Like this, a, a billion things all had to happen yeah. in the same way. And if you change any one thing, 
you know, it's not going to... I'm not saying if Pearson had been there, they would have won the league. I am saying the team that won the league was largely Nigel Pearson's team. Well, you're also saying you feel sorry for him it, when the history is written, as they say, of this title triumph. It will look kind of bizarre that Nigel Pearson will be there all the way up until the title triumph. Then it'll be Ranieri, and now it looks like it could be Nigel Pearson back <laughs> to coach them again because that's <laughs> apparently what the players want. Yeah. So I'll... he'll be meeting people in 30 years' time. You. I know, you were you the manager? No, no, I was. I was just gone for. I that was one manager year. from 2013 <laughs> to 2020 with one small hiatus <laughs> where we won the Premier League. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think. I don't think. Although I'm sure it's true that several of the players would like Pearson back, um, and I wouldn't say it's just the players. I think it would be difficult for these owners to hire Pearson, given the circumstances in which they got rid of him. You know, citing fundamental differences in opinion. There was a whole incident where the, the, there was a post-season tour to Thailand. Three of the players were sacked. There was, you know, a sex tape. One of the players was Pearson's son. You know, one of the players said uh, said something racist in this sex tape. <laughs> There's some baggage. It wasn't it wasn't Pearson's son who said that. Pearson was annoyed that the club didn't make it clear that it wasn't his son who had used the racist term. There were all these, you know. It was an ugly way for it to end, and I can't imagine he's going to go back there. Um, it looks like Craig Shakey Shakespeare. I mean, it's, it's interesting. If you read, for instance, Vardy's book, Shakey and Walshy, their names almost never appear apart. They're like a duo. You know, Walshy obviously left Shakey's there. Walshy and Shakey, Shakey and Walshy. You know, Walshy gone to Everton, Shakey, and it's Shakey and Claudio. It doesn't really go in the same way. Mm. You know, they didn't really... So the CIT, that seems to have been one of the fractures that, that led to this. I mean, I saw Chris Sutton on, on BT Sport in his forthright way saying, well, he doesn't look great now. Shakespeare, does he? You know, this all looks a little bit, you know. Did he use the phrase? He, I think it looks to me as though he stabbed Ranieri in the front. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, they're playing Liverpool tonight. Uh, they lost badly at Anfield at the beginning of the season. Jurgen Klopp has a slightly different view on this from Martin O'Neill. Uh, Klopp had, had previously said, yeah, a lot of strange decisions, you know, Trump, Brexit, Ranieri, none of this makes any sense to me. Um, but he talks uh, about on the issue of player power. Now, players are not more powerful. We are much more powerful as players. We were much more powerful as players in the past. But it depends always on the board and if there is a direct way to the board. If the owners sit with the players and ask, how are you? They will say, and they will say, not too good. Then it is, why? The players say, because of the manager. I've never had this situation where there is a direct line to the owner. As long as the players talk together, there is no problem. If they start talking about you, for, for this, you need an ear on the other side. The players need to be powerful, but not in sacking managers. Now, they never did it. It's not like the Leicester players did it or something. Someone asked, and they gave an answer. So he's basically saying that's the, that's the issue. You know, when you've got directors basically bypassing the manager. That's the problem. Not players have become too powerful. Mm. Um, because there was this whole thing, oh, these lesser players think they're great now, they won the league and now they think they're amazing, but have you seen how long it is since Vardy scored and they all think they're great. And You know, Klopp is basically blaming the directors who apparently don't trust their own manager enough to ask him what's going on and instead go and ask, uh, go and ask players. But Talk to us about your new favourite Premier League striker. Well, it's hard, it's tough. It's tough to pick a favourite. I mean, because there's something quite compelling about Big Zlat. You know? I see that. How can you dislike Big Zlat? You know? I mean, I'm not saying... It's not a question of how can you dislike. It's just kind of... But who do you... I have to say, on Harry Kane is, is some man altogether. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. Harry Kane scored a hat-trick. Uh, 22 goals in 27 games this season. It was his 100th goal, or he scored his 100th goal in, uh, in club football. I think maybe the first one was his 100 goal. Um, but he is... His second uh, hat-trick in what? Third hat-trick this year, Third hat-trick this year, yeah. Second in the last nine games, whatever it was. Yeah, I do. And then he's such, such a nice young man as well. When he speaks afterwards, he just smiles and he's so nice. You know, you know. I, I suppose we needed a bit of that on after the unpleasantness with Deli Alley there the other, the other day. Yeah. Mm. Deli Ali showing his dark side. Deli, there was the whole thing. Arsenal, the Arsenal supporters on the internet got really angry again. I mean, obviously they were primed to be angry because John Cross uh, had put about the story that Alexis Sanchez has told members of staff that he intends to leave Arsenal. He's seen enough and he's 
escaping uh, from from this uh, moribund club. So you can imagine the ambient levels of irritation were already high, but then uh, the apparently unrelated issue of Graeme Souness praising who was it he was praising? Oh bloody he. Oh, yeah, the difference between... The Arsenal supporters remembered that Graeme Souness had criticised Granit Xhaka, the wooden-legged uh, Arsene Wenger-like midfielder who... I, I say these things in terms of his tackling ability. Tackling, you know, not great. You know, for playing football manager, tackling, three. You know, enthusiasm for tackling, 18. Tackling <laughs> ability, three. So Souness was criticising him, saying, oh, this is terrible, and, well, you know, the scourge of the game. Whereas with Della Ali, when Della Ali did perform, uh, produced this appalling foul in the Europa League, Souness was saying, oh. He was visibly sort of almost tingling with pleasure. And he's saying, oh, obviously I can't condone what Della Ali's done, what the boy's done there. But he's just got that. <laughs> he's just got that devil in him. If I was his manager, I'd be delighted. And obviously this hypocrisy between his attitude to the you know to Dele Alli and then the the Spurs British Dele Alli and the Arsenal foreign Granit Xhaka caused all the the latent anger Arsenal supporters were generally feeling over the Sanchez thing to explode and uh, his hypocrisy was attacked but you know what can you do? The assist that Harry Kane produced after his hat-trick was as impressive as anything he did. His left-footed goal was unbelievable from the edge of the box just mm. this ability to keep it down on his, does he have a weaker foot? Really, I don't know. But I, you know, I actually thought that I did think that he was left-footed for a while. He's right. He's right-footed. Yeah. But but I, I there, there was a while I, I can't remember exactly the goal, but he took it so naturally in his left foot that I had thought that he was. I, I went. There was a while when I erroneously believed that Harry Kane was a left-footer. And the little piece of skill he produced to beat his man on the right-hand side before he rolled it across to Dele fourth goal, I think was a little flick with his left foot. Yeah, he's he's comfortable enough on both on either foot, Ken. Yeah. yeah he's a damn Good. fine striker. Give us one more story damn, here. Damn fine footballer owned. Um, should we get... There's, there's a few different things. Um, let's m- briefly mention Big Sam, I suppose. Uh, Big Sam had his first win uh, at home at Crystal Palace Manager, which is a big moment. But talking about his philosophy of, of marginal gains, uh, he, was quoted, he was quoted in The Observer. Um, if you add an extra 2% to the performance of each player, then the team will improve by 22%. Just doing the math here. Well, I think what he, what he meant to say, I mean, if he was to use the, the rules of mathematics, the conventional rules, then the overall team performance would, if every player improved 2%, then the overall team performance would improve by 2%. 2%, yeah. I don't know if you add up necessarily all the 2% and get 22. Although maybe if that did happen, that would explain the tremendous power of the marginal gains philosophy, uh, which has been effective for British cycling um, and other, uh, other institutions that have taken that philosophy on board. Um, but yeah, they did get a win. Although then there was there was, there was something of an embarrassment when Middlesbrough Middlesbrough obviously arrived at a big fancy bus as visiting teams tend to do in the Premier League. Crystal Palace fans said, "Ah, oh, look at that Middlesbrough bus sitting there, all smug and pretty and clean. We'll soon fix that." What does that bus say something to me? Is that bus looking at me funny? <laughs> and uh, before you knew it, the Middlesbrough bus had been vandalised horribly covered in uh, graffiti and the words Crystal Palace daubed in huge letters all along the side of it. Unbelievable. Uh, but the bus actually did belong to Crystal Palace. So <laughs> they'd, they'd given Middlesbrough a land of the bus. And, uh, I had this image of uh, Middlesbrough driving, uh, the Middlesbrough heading back up north with yeah. uh, Cook Pass Babadry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, they did. I don't know if they even had to drive to the airport in this bus, but uh, one way or the other, Palace uh, have to pay well, according to their groundsman, 40 grand to repair the damage. Uh, I don't know how. I mean, it looked like it was just paint, but uh, I suppose uh, a big bus like that means a big paint job. Let's wrap up Kennedy's report on sport. It's a hell of a tournament so far. Listen, Luke Jensen, ESPN. Great to talk to you. Glad you're enjoying it. Own, you're amazing. <laughs> Own, you're amazing. Own, you're amazing. Owen, you're amazing. Owen, you're amazing. Owen McDevitt! All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt worldwide. The Murph and Mackey for most welcome Irishman of the year goes to Owen McDevitt. Owen, Owen, Owen. Owen McDevitt. From Ireland's second captain show. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt worldwide.
second captains. Those guys are like, those guys are like family to me, man. Oh, this is Locke. The coolest song I ever heard in my whole life. Owen McDevitt. All of you said I wouldn't make Stop it. Stop talking about Tom Finney. He said I was a loser. This guy is a bit of a turkey. <laughs> All right. He said I was a fucking soccer. Oh, and you're amazing. But look at me now. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. Worldwide. Owen McDevitt. Oh, and you're amazing. Oh, you're amazing. To say, for example, the Barcelona team you worked at, is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. All right, let's get into the league final, uh, league cup final. I should say in a bit more detail now with Jonathan Wilson. Jonathan, um, Jose Mourinho after the game said that well, essentially we didn't deserve to win that in normal time, and Zlatan, being Zlatan, won the cup for us. Would you just about go along with that? Zlatan being the difference. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, I think Southampton um, were, were much the better side for sort of the first hour, 70 minutes of the game. Um, very unfortunate to be 2 0 down. Uh, you had the goal, you wrongly ruled out, hit the post with a score 2 uh, 2. I, th- I just thought that last sort of you know, 15 minutes or so, there was a sense that United had, had taken control again. I mean, it was chances at both ends, but you sort of, it just sort of felt like it had t- tipped in their direction. And I was sort of expecting them to win it an extra time. Uh, but yeah, it's that and yeah, the, the free kick, the header. Um, you know, he he just keeps scoring. He, you know, his, his record is is amazing. Are you surprised at how brilliant he's been so far this season? Yeah, I, I really didn't expect that. And I think the the early part of the season, um, when you had him and Rooney and Mata all on the same team. They look very slow and sluggish. And you sort of thought, well, I don't really understand why they signed him. And it turns out that Rooney's the one out of those three to miss out. Um, but, I mean, his, his stats are, are ridiculous for, for a 35-year-old. I mean, to have scored, uh, I think it's 224 goals now since he turned 30. And just to put that in perspective, Michael Owen scored 11 goals after turning 30. Or Wayne Rooney, I mean, OK, Rooney obviously is only 31 now, so he's got another four years to catch up, but he's got 18 goals since turning 30. To score 224 is is I mean okay, joining PSG helps, but still it's it's an extraordinary achievement, and I don't think there's any real sign of him slowing down. I mean the you know he he looked tired by the end, but a he'd sort of single-handedly won the game effectively, and b that was his fourth game in 11 days. I mean okay, he came off the bench against Blackburn, but he started the other three games. And in those 11 days, in those four games, he scored six goals. So he's having a remarkable influence over games. And he seems to be playing with the energy and freshness of somebody 10 years younger. Um, I was looking at that, those statistics as well, uh, Jonathan, the, the ones about... So, I mean, it's, it is quite strange. He's, he scored about three quarters of his goals in, this, in roughly the second half of his career. So he, he really kind of changed his, the way that he looked at the game. And... The person who was probably most responsible, insofar as any individual other than Zlatan is responsible, is Fabio Capello, who told him, uh, forget all that stuff they tried to tell you at Ajax. I just want you in the box scoring goals. I don't care about anything else. So actually, he kind of changed the the emphasis of what he was trying to do. He didn't do so much dribbling outside the box. He just said, I'm just going to try and score a lot. It turns out that, um, you know, prioritizing like that uh, can be quite effective. Yeah, it can be in the right team. And uh, I mean, he, 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 Capello showed in videos of Van Basten, didn't he, to sort of say, you know, that this is this is what your movement should be. This is how you should be finishing. Uh, and I, mean, I remember I saw Slatan very early in his career. Um, I saw him play for Ajax against Feyenoord in I think it must have been 2004. Um, and he played up front with Mido in that game. And yeah, Mido was very much a centre forward, and Zlatan was, was drifting off him. So yeah, he has changed his game. And I, I was actually thinking yesterday, it, it's it's a little bit. I mean, it's not totally the same, but it's a little bit the same dynamic as what happened with Cristiano Ronaldo as his pace has started to go. I don't think Zlatan ever had this, that you know the explosive pace that Ronaldo had. But that idea of of as you get older, restricting your movement, becoming more of a box player, um, and you know, Ronaldo's goals keep on keep on coming and uh, you sort of think well yeah maybe we started to think with Ronaldo that yeah, maybe he's slowing down maybe he's coming towards the end but as Lassan shows if you look after yourself and Ronaldo clearly does maybe it is possible to keep playing even in the modern age to 35, 36, 37 who knows Some of this flies in the face though of a lot of the 
perceived wisdom at the moment, uh, Jonathan, which is to say that a striker needs to do more than just score goals. This has been an art of for the last five, five, ten years or so. And we even see it at Manchester City where Sergio Aguero can score a hat-trick every game if he wants. He's still probably going to get drummed out at the end of the season because he doesn't run around enough. And yet yesterday, the League Cup, you see Zlatan scoring goals. Marco Gabbiadini, or not Marco, Manolo Gabbiadini, I should say, looking very typical of a, a striker from a slightly uh, bygone era guy he'll just grab you a couple of goals do you think it's overstated this idea that a striker has to do everything is it, is it can most teams carry one guy who'll just bang the ball in the back of the net no i think it depends entirely how you set up i mean that that's why that's why i said you know if a team set up to play like that to last time he still can be very effective i mean it, it didn't work at barcelona for him and you know, there's obviously personality issues there uh he clashed with Pep Guardiola. but i think his style of play uh is too too egocentric, you know. He he he's not somebody who's going to be prepared to to drop off and, and uh, you know to close people down to um, you know, to, to to play as a sort of half midfielder and half forward. So yeah, it depends entirely how the team's set up. And there has been a move at the, the very highest level of the game uh, towards this sort of idea of the universal footballer, as, as Lobanovsky put it, um, that somebody who, who can do everything. Of whom, yeah, for Lobanovsky, Shevchenko was the ideal example of that. So, yeah, somebody who was a great centre-forward. But actually, if you look at how he played for Dinamo Kiev in, in, under Lobanovsky, he played behind Sergei Lebrov. All those times at Milan when he, he would play sort of on, on the right. Um, and, and that's just not something that Zlatan would do. So, it, it depends entirely how you set the team up. But clearly, you know, scoring goals is a really helpful way of winning football matches. Um, and Zlatan does do other stuff. I mean, you know, he, he wins a lot of balls in the air. Uh, that he's actually the 11th, you know, of, of forwards in the Premier League, he's won the 11th most aerial balls, which if you think of the way United play, you know, they're, they're not a, a long ball team. It's not It's not like, I mean, I think Benteke is leading that, that chart by a million miles, but that's because of the way that Palace play. So United are not lumping up to him, and yet he's still winning a, a lot of aerial balls. So I, I think he does have more to his game than just finishing, but yeah, he's, he's not somebody who's going to fit naturally into a Klopp side or a Guardiola side. There's something else that he has, which is kind of um, difficult to quantify, but everybody can see that it, it really is there. Presence? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, really, absolutely. I mean, a kind of a, a charismatic authority on the field, which... Um, is not really going to show up to any statistical analysis, but is nonetheless there. I mean, there were you know in the last. I, I'm I'm thinking of the move leading up to his second goal. He actually kind of started off that move. If you remember, he had the ball around halfway and he kind of uh, took it forward pretty cleverly, played Rashford in, and sort of set up the chance. But it was it's more the kind of sense that when the ball's at his feet, you can kind of, you get a feeling, okay, it's all right, I've, I've got this, you know? I mean, statistically say, would he, I, I doubt, for instance, that his statistics would match up with, say, for instance, Aubameyang, the Dortmund centre forward. And if a computer was to look at both of them, you'd say, you know, Aubameyang is the more, uh, Aubameyang's a bad example because he's too good. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> if you were to look at it, and if a computer would to look at two strikers with similar statistical output, there is actually a difference there. Zatan has got something else, which most players don't have. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's it's one of the shortcomings of stats. And it's one of the things that, you know, the, the, the pure stats wonks really hate when you point out that there are these other factors. I mean, confidence seems to be the one that they, they keep trying to knock down and, and can't. But yeah, that, that idea of—I mean, I guess you know—an idea that's very common in football, the idea of leadership on the pitch. You talk about teams lacking leaders, well, and probably United have over the last two or three years. Um, and, and Zlatan has that sort of authority and that ability to inspire, and just sort of—I don't know—there's just sort of a, an edge about him that you kind of—you know, as he stepped up that free kick in the first half, you sort of thought, "Yeah, I, I sort of this looks like it's going in." And I, um, there's only certain players. You, if I can tell you exactly what it reminded me of. Do you remember uh, when Rooney scored? I think it was his hat trick goal against Fenerbahce back yeah. in 2004 on his United debut. And it, I, I got a similar sense of, oh, he's going to score this. Uh, and there's, there's only certain players you you get that with, and and he's definitely one of them. And and I think especially in big games, somebody who when you don't play well, but you can sort of rely on to. You know, just drag you over the line. It, it is a, you know, that quality of winningness is very hard to define, but he, he absolutely has it. Yeah, and I think the other, the other interesting thing about him is that he didn't always have it. 
you know, he, he, I mean, I know that he always had this kind of brash arrogance or whatever, and, and he, but that, I think that was part of the reason why, particularly in English football, people kind of looked at him as being a bit of a joke, because this was a guy who, who couldn't actually uh, back up what he was saying, you know, he, he had all these quotes and, and so on, but you look at me, you're like, you're a guy who scores a goal every three and a half games, you know, you're not really all that, um, but he, but it's a quality which he quite, you know, m- maybe at 27 or 28, actually developed and honed now to a very high level. What, the point essentially being that um, this isn't necessarily something you're born with, but it is something that you can develop. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I, I, I'll, is it true? Um, I mean, I think, I think it's also a natural thing that it comes with age, right? The, the experience will allow you to use that brashness in, in ways that actually inspire your teammates and annoy the opposition rather than annoying your teammates and inspiring the opposition. And I think early in his career, he was he was guilty of the latter, that his, his brashness at times irritated his own team and made the opposition, I don't know, sort of more, but galvanised the opposition. Whereas now I think yeah, he has learned how to channel that. He has learned how to, how to use it uh, well. And there is just a fact that um, yeah, we know what he's done in his career, so he's got that to back it up. It, it, there is a sort of there is a gravitas to him because of his because of his record, and that only comes with with uh, with experience. I mean, I, I think it's it's very rare for somebody to have real leadership qualities at sort of nineteen, twenty, twenty one. Um, but it, it is something you. I mean, you do see. I mean, something like Graham Smith, the South African cricket captain. Yeah, he became captain at what twenty one, I think, and you know, he was clearly a, you know a, a serious figure from a very early age, but I, I think it is something that, that most captains, most leaders develop in time. Uh, I mean, the, the the one problem with him, I guess, is that he is 35. I mean, Mourinho was talking after the game, Manchester United fans, well, the, he, he's, he was actually talking as though there was some doubt over whether he might even sign to play for another year. I mean, maybe even Zlatan might go, can I really improve on this? I don't know exactly what, I mean, I would expect him to sign, but the fact is, you know, he's not, going to be there for too much longer. I mean, he's not really a figure that you can necessarily build a team around at this point. Um, so is that a bit of a concern? I mean, do you, do you see, when you look through the rest of that Manchester United team that struggled so much during the game yesterday, do you see the the bones of a potentially great team taking taking shape that can um, go on without Zlatan and be dominant? Uh, well, I think Zlatan is, is definitely an issue if they need him with the centre-forward. But I mean, I think... Um, I think you know we'll sign a centre forward in the summer, and they've been very strongly linked with uh, Antoine Griezmann, who's a slightly different type of player, but uh, you know is clearly one of the world's top centre forwards. So you, you you bring in somebody else. You've got Zlatan still there, probably aged thirty five, thirty six. You've got Martial and Rashford, so you've got a sort of future coming through. I think that looks quite bright. I thought the other player who they really missed in the first half yesterday was Michael Carrick, who's also thirty five. Um, but if you think of, I mean, there's two instances in the sort of 10 minutes before half time, or maybe 15 minutes before half time, when Southampton had had shots from central areas, or sort of 25 yards from goal, and, and De Gea made two good saves, you know, one with his right hand, one with his feet. And you sort of thought, well, if Michael Carrick's there, that's exactly where he sits. So Herrera, for all his sort of, um, all his qualities of irritability, for, for all his ability on the ball, you know, and putting in the cross for the, for, for the winner. He doesn't have that positional sense that Carrick does. And I think you know, they look very, very flimsy defensively without Carrick. And he is in a very different way, I think, a leader to Zlatan, that his sort of quiet authority, he's never really going to inspire people, but it's, it's quite nice to have him there. He's somebody who, who you trust and somebody whose positional sense means you're not going to be open to to, to shots from that, that, you know, that sort of key area, 25, 30 yards from goal. Uh, so I think they need a, another really dominant, controlling Restrain central midfielder as well. I think they're the two areas where you know, they have thirty-five-year-olds who obviously will will need replacing in time. Um, how big a deal is it to win another league cup for Jose Mourinho? He's, he's obviously set a record. He's or equal the record held by Brian Clough and Alex Ferguson, which I'm sure he's very pleased with. Uh, I noticed that there was kind of a bit of an argument happening over whether trophies mean anything anymore. Basically, no no trophies count anymore. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the League Cup, the FA Cup, the Premier League. None of them really count that much anymore, John. Trophies are no longer that big a deal, according to some people. Well, they're saying don't keep you in jobs, do they? I mean, that's, that's what we've learned. That the uh, the winners of the, the league, the FA Cup and the League Cup from last season are, are all out of a job. Oh, well, uh, yeah, they're, they're all out of a job. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe it doesn't matter anymore, which is a really odd thing. But, um, yeah, you, you sort of think, what's football about if it's not about winning trophies? But if it doesn't buy you sort of six, seven months into the following season, then then I guess they don't matter. That There's a sense that, you know, you, you're, you, as a manager, you're better off regularly coming close, regularly finishing third or fourth in the league. And then the expectations don't get inflated too much. And so a Pochettino or a, or a Wenger stays on. And, um, you know, a Ranieri uh, or a Van Gaal gets, gets booted out. But I think for Mourinho, I think it is important. I think it's something... Yeah, he, he likes trophies. He, he seems to want that validation. Um, I mean, the, uh, I don't think he did it yesterday, but uh, when they won the community... Shield back in August, he sort of walked down the steps, having picked up his medal, holding up seven fingers to say I've won seven seven things at Wembley, uh, or you know seven English uh, cups. Uh, so you, th- I think that 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 sort of tallying up process does matter to him, and it's sort of you know there's a lot been a lot of talk around Pochettino recently of you know he needs to win something just to prove himself. Well, Mourinho doesn't have that. He's he has won something at United now, and yeah, you know, that was something he he actually said in in the press conference. He said that he puts pressure on himself to win a major trophy at every club he's at, and he's now ticked that box for United. And so, you know, the the, the first stage is is complete, and you know his record in the League Cup's amazing. I mean, he's only lost one one game. I mean, if you count penalty shots as being a draw, the only team to beat him um, is was Sunderland under Gus Poyer when when they got to the final and they beat them in extra time. So he's never lost a a League Cup tie in 90 minutes. And that possibly suggests that he, he takes it more seriously than other managers. But, you know, good for him, I think. You know, yeah. it's, uh, The downside is, I guess, he's not giving young players a chance, which is where other managers do test out young players. So, yeah, there's a balance there. But, um, yeah, I think trophies do matter. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is a good thing that he cares. Yeah, I don't think he's winning these... League, t- league titles, league cup titles, I should say, at the expense of other trophies. So we might, as well, might as well go for them, even if nobody else thinks it's important. Jonathan, we leave it at that. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks very much. statistic to measure charismatic authority is that the phrase you use mm. be a difficult one <laughs> oh difficult to measure every last by its ever. nature it cannot be measured by statistics mm. um it cuts through all the uh the you know the the, the sheaves of paper it's sweet imagine imagine you own were a statistician a, a statistical footballing bureaucrat sitting there at an, a large desk with pile after pile of papers stacked on the desk in front of you and, and peering through your little mole weak eyes through thick spectacles right and pouring over your sheets of paper right Zlatan Ibrahimovic walks into your office wearing nothing but a pair of tight shorts and with one imperious sweep of his arm whew, sweeps every little piece of paper off your desk and onto the onto the Never floor mind his arm. he karate kicks Little mole eyes yeah. right in the head, yeah. and in the process, also kicks all of his uh, sheaths of paper off the yeah. off the table. Quick as a flash, he reaches over and whips the glasses off your 
off your face. And then he then he runs around the room, uh, putting on a little ventriloquist voice and says, Ooh, where am I? In which part of the room am I? That is how he that is how he respects your bureaucratic statistical yeah, uh, shut up, McDevitt. Yeah, I've got the figures for that somewhere. Says McDevitt, sh- shuffling around <laughs> his, his paper, picking up his glasses. So, uh, and then it turns out Jesse Lingard has filmed the whole thing, and it's already on <laughs> Jesse Lingard's Instagram. <laughs> so that is the that is the nightmare situation. Point well made, Ken. Um, Point well made. We we didn't uh, get to mention just the Spanish football was pretty funny. Um, Barcelona had this great game against Atletico. Well, not that great a game. A typical Atletico Madrid hard-fought game, which Barcelona managed to win with a late goal by Lionel Messi, 2-1. Um, there's a great footage of the goal showing Fernando Torres, uh, the centre forward for Atletico, in the box. It's a crowded area. Simeone's men fighting, you know, the Spartans at Thermopylae, all this kind of stuff. Barcelona have them under siege. And the ball is cut back and ghosting into the area is Lionel Messi, but Fernando Torres is just standing there as though he's seen a ghost, because he does. He literally watches the whole thing happen. He just stands there. Yeah, have you ever seen someone stand, stand there and sort of slightly crane their neck as though, although they've got a perfectly unobstructed view, as though to get a slightly better view? Have you ever seen that phenomenon? Of course, yeah. That's what, Torres, that's what Torres does. I mean, this is a guy who understands, you know, where to go in the penalty area to, to find the danger. You know, he understands that. He can see the whole thing happening. And he just watches. I suppose when you see Messi up close like that, it is magnificent. It's magnificent. So, so they score. But unfortunately, Real Madrid are 2-0 down to um, Villarreal and managed to win 3-2. Bale got injured instantly. Zidane said it wasn't that bad. So the Ireland-Wales game isn't too far away now. But Bale scored. Ronaldo scored a penalty. And Morata scored the, the 3-2. But the penalty was very dodgy. And so PK then went on Twitter. And PK's like, ugh. PK um, tweeted all these. He said, "Oh, eight, it's an eight-point swing." I've used examples from the Madrid press to avoid accusations of bias, and he and he had all these screen grabs of like dodgy decisions that had gone for Real Madrid, you know, and against Barcelona. Um, at which point, Sergio Ramos says, "I'd be surprised if Lionel Messi had tweeted something like this." But we already know about PK's world, where everything's a plot against him. Uh, the referees have a difficult job. Sergio Ramos loves referees. That's his uh, international teammate, incidentally, who's just accused <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. of tinfoil hat wearing paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't think Barcelona were too pleased with the situation. Murphy got a nice delivery in the post. I noticed your eyes light up late last week. I did. Oh, bring this to I our really, really did. Um, I've talked possibly on a number of occasions too many about the. A uh, rather strange phenomenon of my having a posture of Paul Ince frolicking naked. Well, we don't know how naked he is, but certainly shirtless in a bath on my bedroom wall when I was a child. Uh, I mentioned it, maybe the last time I mentioned it was, I don't know, four months ago or something. Oh, uh, yeah, p- probably even more recently. Yeah, but I uh, got, uh, got a package into the office uh, last week and uh, it was an absolutely pristine copy of the very Manchester United magazine in which that poster was originally uh, produced. Now, the message on the front was a message from the person who sold it on eBay, but the person who sold it on eBay, not the person who bought it for me. So basically, a person bought this... Anonymous. Put my name in it, put our address here of Second Captains uh, uh, onto it, and so it was sent to me. I have no idea who sent it to me. That's amazing. I've, I've literally no idea. The thing, so is, the thing is literally more than 20 years old. Yeah. Naked Ni- January ambition. 94. Yeah, Th- Naked Ambition, United Roar into 94. There's Kino. Irish eyes are smiling on page mm-hmm. three. Kino and Dennis Irwin. Yeah. Oh, page 20 there for Ints in the Bath, Ken, if you want to skip on to that. Page mm. 20. In the meantime, I, I guess you're calling, looking for a call out here. Maybe well, shout I mean, out. Editor, editor at secondcaptains.com. Please, if you I are mean, this generous soul. It is. It's... It's pretty hot, isn't it, Ken? Well, there's a there's a hot centerfold. Yeah, uh, it's but although it's it's he's mostly submerged in this milky water. Mm. It's still it's he's <laughs> got a gold chain and a seductive expression. <laughs> yeah, but you can't see come his, hither. They're, those are come hither eyes, Ken. They very much are. Um, look at him. He's play, look, he's playfully spouting water at the at the camera as well. He's like spinning a little bit. It's really quite just, something. But thank you very much, yeah. mystery listener. And uh, even if you want to maintain your anonymity, but l- at least let me know who you are so that I can pen you a, an email. Thanks. Sparky's Ark. 
at home with Mark Hughes. <laughs> Look at the family shot of Hughesy and Mark Hughes, his wife and three children ah, sitting beautiful. in a luxury shag pile carpet. <laughs> this is, I'm definitely going to read. Thanks very much to the 6,000 of you who've joined up the, to the Second Captain's World Service. If you're interested in doing so from this point on, feel free to, well, please do, get on to secondcaptains.com and have a look at all the details there. Uh, Ken is absolutely flabbergasted with this. We won't get another. We won't get a jot of work out of this. I don't know if Ken's. I don't, yeah, I don't know if Ken's going to be available for this second podcast we have to record. But we are going to be talking about the rugby at the weekend, obviously, and about Murph's big victory at GAA Congress. So that's all to come. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks, Kieran. Gormagadon, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for this. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those.